0: Is the church conditioning women to think less of themselves? And do the most common teachings girls hear in youth group make them more likely to marry an abuser, less likely to understand consent, and more likely to blame themselves if they're assaulted? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Royce, and today I'm going to be speaking with Sheila Ray Gwegoire, author of a fantastic book exposing toxic church teachings on sex and women called She Deserves Better. Sheila and her team surveyed more than 7,000 women for this book, and what they found was truly eye-opening and concerning. They found, for example, that the emphasis on sexual purity can backfire. Instead of helping girls make good choices, it can actually shame them and prime them for abuse. Similarly, much of the teaching surrounding modesty can cause low self-esteem and body image issues. In this podcast, I'll explore these toxic teachings with Sheila, and we'll discuss how to really protect our daughters so that they can experience healthy relationships with men, with themselves, and with the church. I'm so excited to explore this topic with Sheila, but first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Markorda Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are men of integrity. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me is Sheila Ray Guaguar, founder of baremarriage.com, the largest single blogger marriage blog. She's also an award-winning author of nine books including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and her latest, She Deserves Better. Sheila is passionate about changing the evangelical conversation about sex and marriage to line up with kingdom principles, and she's passionate about calling out abuse and making church a safe place, which makes her a kindred spirit. So Sheila, welcome, and I'm just so excited to talk to you about this book. It's a fantastic resource. Thank you, my friend. It's good to join you again. And again, being you've been on my podcast before, but before I recorded this podcast with you, I went back and listened and I'd forgotten all about this, but you and I were on Moody Radio together back when I did my show, Up for Debate, talking about, of all things, modesty.
1: I know. (laughs) It's funny how things come full circle. They do. And
0: and I think both of us, if we were to record that today, would probably be in a little different place. So... Mm -hmm. A lot has happened in the past five or six years, and I think that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about, the evolution of things within the evangelical church. A lot has changed, but unfortunately, a lot has stayed the same as well, and so really looking forward to diving into that. Before we go any further, though, I also want to mention that I have an exciting announcement that you will be coming to the Restore Conference on October 13th and 14th. So, so excited about that and about having you join us, so Thanks for agreeing to do that. I'm just thrilled that you're going to be there.
1: Well, I'm just so excited to meet people in real life. You know, you feel like you type into your keyboard all the time, but I'm so, uh, yeah, I'm so jazzed to see everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And for those of you who don't know what Restore is, it's a two-day conference for folks that have experienced church hurt or those who are allies of these folks who have experienced church hurt or church leaders, especially, we would love to see church leaders come. I know at the past two conferences, that's been an area that's been growing, people coming saying, we wanna know how to minister to people who have been through these sorts of church hurt experiences. And some of the other folks coming, Wade Mullen, Mary DeMuth, Ann Thompson, who I know is your fellow Canadian there in the Great White North. So really excited about that. If you want more information, just go to restore2023.com. Again, restore2023.com. But Sheila, to get to your book, she deserves better. I just finished reading it last night. It was outstanding. And what was really kind of fun is that my daughter, my 21-year-old, is home. And so I got to read portions to her. And she was like, man, I want to read this book. This is an outstanding (laughs) book. So you got the thumbs up from my daughter as well.
1: Oh, that's great to hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really cool. And I know that we're going to have a lot of conversations around this book. And actually, after each chapter, you have discussion questions that moms and daughters can have these conversations, which what a great resource. I mean, I think this is going to be so helpful for moms and daughters to engage over these topics.
1: That was really our prayer. We have about a thousand people in our launch team, which has been crazy. And a lot of them are saying, I'm either reading it so that I can talk to my daughter better, or I'm reading it to reparent little 15 year old me. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it's all the stuff I should have heard, but I didn't.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I love the premise of your book that women deserve better, especially women within the evangelical church. And I have to say, it's just been sad to see in so much of my reporting that women in the church are not believed. A lot of the time, they're silenced, they're gaslit, they're fed lies about who they are and about their worth. And so I see that changing and the culture is changing. I think we're just on the cusp of that change. But I think you're a big part of that and your advocacy and your voice has been so important. So thank you for that. Yeah. And looking forward to unpacking that. I had to laugh at the the opening of your book when you talk about <laughs> growing up with blue eyeshadow, the Brady Bunch, and learning to play guitar using Amy Grant tunes while on summer missions trips. I think we must have had the same adolescence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, with the bangs that go really high too, right? Oh, that you're teasing your bangs. Yes. Man,
0: my hair, I think from one side to the other was about a foot, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> yes, it was the 80s. But we really did have different messages when it comes to sex and marriage and dating. You know, you said that you dated a lot in high school. I dated a lot in high school. I came from a very strong Christian home. I dated non-Christians, which I'm not sure that was the best thing. You know, I look back and I'm like, ooh, some stuff could have gone really bad. It didn't, but it could have. But yeah, I mean, that was the culture we grew up in. Our daughters, on the other hand grew up thinking if you're in certain evangelical conservative churches that dating was taboo in the church you know we had books like i Kiss dating goodbye the purity rings became a thing you would think that given all of this emphasis that we've had in this you know latest generation on dating and sex and everything that it would produce a lot better marriages and a lot healthier marriages that's not what you found was it
1: No, exactly. When purity culture came in, and you can kind of date it to the mid 90s, maybe to like 2015, although I think it's still Mm -hmm. there. It's just using different words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the messages that were really taught, especially to girls, ended up having really significant long term effects that were harmful which is so, so sad. And I, I don't think the intention was ever that. I think that the people teaching this stuff, they had good intentions, but they just didn't realize the implications of what they were saying. And so that's what we're trying to do. And she deserves better using actual research. We, we surveyed 7,000 women to see how their experiences as teens in church and the messages that they were told in church, how those impact them long-term. And the picture's
0: not pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in the church so often we talk about all the dangers that are outside the church, mm-hmm. and you actually found that the messaging around some of these things is actually more healthy in the secular culture,
1: which is shocking yeah. than in the church. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. Especially around things like consent and date rape, around ideas that women have worth and that our voices matter. Those are things that are definitely healthier in secular spaces. And I think that's tragic, and it needs mm. to change.
0: Yeah. And when we're talking about this, though, even though we're talking in the church, these messages that we're going to be unpacking, these are biblical messages. <laughs> it's not like Christianity has been tried here and found wanting, it's like I kind of think of it like it's a Pharisee-ism on top of what the Bible actually says. We've created these rules on
1: top, right? Yeah, exactly. Because when when you look at the negative things that we measured, Jesus never said them. Yeah. Jesus in very many cases said the exact opposite. Hmm. And yet our church culture has created gender dynamics that are really harmful for girls. And we need to confront that because our girls do deserve better. Our boys deserve better. Hmm. And we deserved better in the past too. And and I think if enough of us look at this, honestly, if we're willing to look at this, I think we can do better for the next generation. And I believe there is such a hunger and an urgency to this. I think people are ready.
0: Let's start with church youth groups. I know for a lot of families, the reason they go to a church is for the youth group. And I'll be honest, even though my husband and I have done youth group ministry, the older I get, the more I've really started thinking about the wisdom of pooling a bunch of teenagers all together at this stage of life and then putting some inexperienced pastor over them. I do think they can often be just sort of a breeding ground for all sorts of trouble. And And sadly, so many of the abuse stories that I report on, they happen within church youth groups. I know you found that there's, tons of landmines within these youth groups. Talk about those.
1: Oh, there are. I don't know where you want to go first, but here, let me (laughs) just give you a a stat um, that's very sobering. So of the 7,000 women that we surveyed, um, Mm -hmm. 18.7%, I believe, reported being uh, sexually harassed or abused or assaulted within youth group situation. Mm. Of those, about 10% were by a pastor, 20% were by a Sunday school teacher or other youth leader, And then you had, I think it was like 52% were by a peer and 48% were by some other adult. So it doesn't add up to 100 because people could have had multiple people abusing them. But in total, if you look at it, 12.9% of women say that they were sexually harassed or assaulted or abused by an adult in Mm. church while they were still minors
0: and there's so little training isn't there like it's not like these youth pastors come in and even if they have seminary training there's there's nothing hardly out there is there really training them to deal with abuse
1: no there really isn't and so much of the training in seminaries doubles down on a lot of the messages we're going to be talking about hmm. which tend to put uh, the responsibility for male lust and male sin on girl's shoulders and so when they're in a seminary situation where this is constantly taught, and then they get to a youth group mm. situation where there's all these girls around, that's a lot of problem. And they also are not equipped. If you think about it, the person on staff at a church who is the most likely to hear disclosures of abuse, of eating disorders, mm. of mental health problems, is your youth pastor. Yeah. And yet your youth pastor is often 24 years old, maybe newly married, very little education, very little real life experience, very little... Life experience outside of church settings, and they're not qualified for this. And that doesn't mean there aren't good youth pastors. I know that there are. But we need to think that the most qualified person should really be in charge of the youth, not the least. Yes, absolutely. And I think we
0: way overblow the proximity to youth that they need to be. You know, like Mm -hmm. they don't need to be that young. In fact, when we were in youth ministry, we found that the the number one characteristic you need to be in youth ministry is love for the kids. And sometimes and especially with these kids who sometimes don't have good parents and and good role models, sometimes they love the 50 60 year old who's willing yeah. to come in and it's great. I mean it's 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 a wonderful dynamic when you have that. But it, you know, bare minimum, we just need to to have some training, and and there just there just isn't very much. But let's let's talk about some of these messages. I think one of the saddest things that I read in your book concerned drawing boundaries. I think we do a good job of encouraging you know our kids to draw boundaries around their faith, you know, to stand for their faith and be bold about it, and you know, avoid drugs and alcohol, things like that. But when it comes to standing up for themselves, especially if you're a girl. You found that our churches do a pretty abysmal job. Would you tell me about that and what your your survey found?
1: Sure. So do you remember the acronym Joy? It it's been used a lot in church circles. Jesus first, other okay. second, you last. Mm-hmm. And Camp Canicook has a similar saying called I'm third,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where you know, Jesus first, other second, you're last. And so we're supposed to be caring for other people and not worrying about ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Camp Canicook is also involved in one of the worst sexual abuse scandals where they ignored complaints of parents, where they allegedly promoted and moved people around who were known to sexually abuse kids. And you have to wonder, how much is this I'm third Hmm. idea impacting abuse rates, because I think they're very linked. And that seems to be what we found as well. When it comes to boundaries, there's two different kinds. There's what I call conviction boundaries. So I don't drink, I'm not having sex till I'm married. And we're Mm. really good at those, like you said, you know, churches are super good at those. Christian kids do tend to have sex less, to drink less, all of that stuff. So yay, way to go us. So that's some good news. (laughs) What we're really bad at is protection boundaries. So, the idea that I am worth protecting, that I actually matter. Because when you believe the JOY acronym, then what you think is no, everybody else's needs have to come before my own. That's not actually what Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, you know, love others as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. So, we need to love ourselves too. But girls, especially, are often taught if you say no to someone who needs you, then you are hurting that person and that is bad. So you'll have you'll have a friend maybe you're their only friend, they're a little bit socially awkward. They text you constantly. So what are you doing? And it's like you're trying to get a paper done and it's like I'm bored and and they won't go away. And then if you try to draw boundaries they're like but you're just the only person and without you I would be so lost and maybe they even threaten, you know, we we talk to women who's they would have people threaten to kill themselves and and you don't know what to do as kids. And you feel Mm. like I am responsible for this person. And so no matter how much awkwardness I feel, no matter how put out I am, I have to live with this because that's Mm. part of being Christian. Jesus didn't even do that.
0: And you talk about, and and we talk about this a lot in, you know, abuse survivor communities about DARVO, you know, this Mm -hmm. idea, deny, attack, reverse the victim and offender. You talk about the churches, we're actually DARVOing these young teenage girls often.
1: Oh, we right? do it so much in, in many different ways. And throughout the book, we show how we <laughs> darvo about modesty, about consent, <laughs> about boundaries, about feelings. We're really good at darvoing in the church. Oh, we are. But one of the ways that we get kids to have no boundaries is we tell them that their emotions don't count. Mm. Right. So whatever you're feeling, you're not really feeling it because you're supposed to have joy in the Lord, Julie. Mm. What's the matter with you that you don't have joy in the Lord? And so if you're feeling anxious, if you don't like being somewhere where other people tell you, no, this is supposed to make you happy, then you're told, well, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And you need to stand on faith, not on feelings, because feelings are bad. But emotions are what God gave us to be our little spidey senses. Like they tell us What is going on in our situation, in our circumstances, and if there's something that we need to work on, and if we're constantly telling girls, you don't feel what you think you feel, then they learn that when I'm uncomfortable, I need to disregard that. Mm. You never want your child to disregard being uncomfortable. You want your daughter to say, okay, I'm uncomfortable. Maybe there's a reason for this. Let me investigate what's going on to figure out if there's a reason that I'm uncomfortable. Or even if I'm uncomfortable, that matters in and of itself. And I'm allowed to remove myself from this situation. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like, you don't really feel that. What, what do you mean you feel uncomfortable? What do you mean you don't like being with this person? Don't you realize, Julie, and now we're mm-hmm. going to reverse victim and offender. that by yeah. saying that you are hurting them. Now, mm-hmm. what do you mean you don't want to be with this youth leader? Mm-hmm. You know, don't you realize how much time they've spent? How do you think they're going to be able to keep ministering, Julie? If you if you say that to them,
0: (laughs) that's unbelievable. And as you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking of the church that we recently left because there was a sex abuse scandal, and it wasn't handled correctly. And you have an abuser who is being chaperoned to come to church, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and again, it's like, oh, but don't you care about the the abuser? The person who abused a teenage girl, sure, I care about him, but I care about protecting all of the, the women in the church. And this idea of chaperoning them so they can come, I mean, it's just, why are we so often, and you'll hear this so often too when you have an abusive pastor or whatever, let's pray for him. How many are praying for the victims? Like, why do we always seem to prioritize the predator instead of the victim or instead of the
1: vulnerable? What is that? Yeah. You know, my oldest daughter, who's one of the co-authors on the book. So there's three of us. How fun is that to have your daughter work? I mean, that's just got to be awesome. It is really. Rebecca, I I like to say that Rebecca writes most of the snarky lines. So when there's really a good (laughs) one-liner, that's Rebecca, my daughter. Mm -hmm. And she wrote most of the modesty chapter because that was her big thing. And she edits, Mm -hmm. she makes everything better. And she does all our focus groups and then, and she writes the survey and then Joanna does all of our stats. And she's amazing at that. I don't even understand half of what she says, but she's very good at it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But when Rebecca, my oldest, when she was in youth group, she was probably about 15. And there was an 18 year old who was hanging out in their youth group. And he was known to have sexually assaulted several girls at the high school. So this was a known predator. And he gave off seriously creepy vibes. The girls did not feel Mm. comfortable near him. So she went to the youth leader. And they were doing one of those 30 hour famines, you know, where you sleep overnight. Oh,
0: yeah, we did those. Yeah. Mm hmm.
1: And she said, we don't feel comfortable with him. And the Mm -hmm. youth leader said, why are you being so judgmental? Just because someone is weird. Don't you know they need Jesus? Wow. And wouldn't do anything about it. And so the boys in the youth group, they each did a buddy system with each of the girls. So the girls were never left alone so that this guy couldn't do anything. So the boys protected the girls, but the youth Mm -hmm. leaders told them, you are being judgmental. Don't you know he knows Jesus? And so he needs Jesus. And so his need to hear about Jesus was greater than the girl's need for safety.
0: Wow. And no wonder we're having these issues in our youth groups. If, if that's where we're placing our priority and we're not protecting women and girls, that's just so bad. And it's actually, in a, in a way, these girls are being groomed to be abused.
1: Exactly. It's because terrible. if you feel uncomfortable and you want to get away from someone or you don't want someone, well, don't you know they need Jesus? You might be the only one who can bring Jesus to them. What an awful message.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's look at dating um, mm-hmm. because the big runaway book you know, that, that came out when we were doing youth ministry was I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Of course, now the author of that, Josh what I'm Harris. Blanking. Thank Harris. you. Joshua yep. Harris, yes. Now has renounced his faith. I mean, it's it's really sad. But I remember I remember reading it and going, Oh wow, I've never thought about that before, you know, and, and we we kinda had a joke in our youth group because we had discussions about it, about the book. I don't know, it's like three or four weeks that we spent on it. And during that time everybody started dating in the group. So, you know, <laughs> people weren't weren't absorbing it, but we, you know, we just had discussions about it. Like, what do you think? But it became, you know, I know in a lot of circles became just legalistic in this idea of courting and, and then all these dating rules, you couldn't kiss before you were married, which I just can't even imagine going down the aisle, having never kissed a boy and then having your wedding night. I mean, I just can't even fathom that. Um... But now we have several decades to sort of look back and evaluate, you know, what's been the fruit of this. So tell me, I mean, you're the expert, what has been the fruit of I kiss, Dating Goodbye
1: and all of these,
0: these rules?
1: Okay, so much to say here. Well, first, yeah. let, me, let me paint the picture. Yeah. So in the 80s, we, we often think that everything is getting worse. Right? Like society is going downhill and we're everything is everything's just terrible. But actually in the 80s, teen pregnancy rates were higher than they are today. The rate of teen sexual activity was higher, drug and alcohol use were higher. Now, today, oral sex is higher, porn use is higher, mental health is worse. So we have, you know, we have our own issues. Yeah. But the 80s was bad. <laughs> and and all of these school boards and counties and governments and churches were looking at the teen pregnancy rates and they were going, we got to do something. And Mm -hmm. so they brought in super comprehensive sex ed, and Christian parents didn't like that. And so there was this big revolt against comprehensive sex ed, and that's when purity culture largely came in with the whole abstinence-only message. So we're Mm -hmm. only going to say abstinence. And at the same time, you have this dating movement where we're not going to date, we're not going to even kiss, we're going to wait to the wedding. And it was kind of sold as like, this is what Christianity should be, and we're going to hearken back to the olden days. Mm -hmm. there were no olden days where people didn't kiss before the wedding. Like even in Jane Austen, like you watch it, they kiss (laughs) as soon as they're engaged. Okay. Like there is no olden days. And in our survey of 7,000, we broke people down by generations. And if you look at boomers, there was like nobody who waited to kiss for the wedding. You know, it's just, Yeah, like in Gen X, maybe 1%, you know, and then suddenly you get to millennials and you're looking at, I think, I think it was like 12 or 13% waited for the wedding.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We, my husband used to like to say how he waited so long before he kissed me. And he was telling the story to all these people. And I'm like, sweetheart, do you realize when you kissed me? And he's like, well, I know I waited a long time. I'm like, you kissed me on our second date. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I, I did not. I'm like, yes, you did. And he's like, well, I know by that time I was serious. I'm like, well, yes, you were born serious. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> it's just, just so funny. But, but I have to say, now you're gonna, this is not going to be helpful to me because my daughter and I got in this, this, I wouldn't say heated argument, but but like it was, it was uh, lively. We'll say lively. But everything we do, we're very passionate in our family. I know that's hard to like imagine, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we got in this whole thing. We could, because I was like, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, to me, the hookup culture. So my perception would be the opposite of what you just said. Because my perception when I was growing up, like, and again, I'm in a small town. Maybe I'm living in a bubble. I don't know. But like when I was growing up, not one of my friends had sex and talked about it. One friend I remember said, like, let slip that the boy she'd been dating, like, for a year and a half that they were having sex, and we were all like, oh, and they weren't even Christians, right? We were just all like, oh, my word, you know, we were, like, so shocked. It was, um, which, you know, I talked to my daughter, and the culture seems like it's gone, you know, like, her culture, she grew up in so different, so, so different. So I'm trying to put that together with, with the numbers that you're giving me, you know. I mean, it just wasn't true to my experience, but maybe... I mean, help me put that together. Am I missing something? Or is it just that I just lived in small town Pennsylvania where we were about Fifteen years behind the culture for sure. Yeah, uh, it really been
1: that. And also, I'm talking about high school, right? Like things are very different when to get to college age today, oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But even among college college students, um, the rate of sexual activity has dropped. Now the rate of porn use has gone way up, and, and this is all you know, it's it's difficult to tease out what's what's going on. And yeah. but for high schoolers, yes, in the broader culture, there was more sexual activity in terms of intercourse, you know, in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, and there was. Hmm today which is which i know we think is bizarre yeah. but things are not necessarily always getting worse now you could argue that because there's more oral sex and porn use has have we really gotten better and and very good point maybe it's more casual
0: now too because like yes. the idea of having sex with somebody that you weren't dating i remember when i heard that people were doing that like mm-hmm. i'm in my 40s again probably a little bit out of touch, but I was just like, you're kidding me. You know, like I was just shocked by that.
1: I've never been part of the hookup culture either. And just imagining that (sighs) it's, yes, I can't quite get my head around it either, but you can understand why I think when purity culture came in, people really did want to help because Mm. there was so much heartache going on and STDs were high, you know, people were trying to prevent teen pregnancies. And so they thought all we need to do is get kids to stop dating if we can just get kids to stop mm. dating and to take marriage more seriously and you know to get parents involved in the courtship so that you choose a good mate and you're protected. And it, it was very much, let's protect these kids. Mm. So here's what we did. We looked at, we took our 7,000 women and we divided mm. them into four groups. So people who were allowed to date mm. and dated, people who were allowed to date and didn't date, people who were not allowed to date and didn't date, and people who were not allowed to date but did date anyway. So there's your four groups, the little quadrant. Mm -hmm. And we looked at their outcomes. The thing is that during purity culture, there was really only one outcome that people cared about, Mm -hmm. which was are they a virgin on the wedding night? Yeah, right. I have two married adult daughters, and I can tell you that on their wedding day, that was not my primary concern. Mm. On their Mm -hmm. wedding day, I was just thanking God that neither of them were marrying abusers and that both Mm -hmm. of them were marrying guys that I had total faith in. Mm -hmm. Because as a parent, what you really want, like the biggest nightmare is that your child is going to marry an abuser. And so we measured that. We looked at their future marital and sexual satisfaction. We looked at their self-esteem, because self-esteem is highly linked to better mental health, better jobs, better relationships overall. So we had a number of different outcome variables, including whether people got married or not. Paul commends singleness. Mm -hmm. We should be far more welcoming of single people in churches. I think it's terrible Mm -hmm. that we have created churches that are so antagonistic often towards single people. But at the same time, I think if someone wants to get married and never does, that is something that, that we can mourn. You know, if people are happy being single, that is wonderful. But I think we do need to acknowledge some heartache and and if our kids want to get married, we want them to be able to get married. So let's add Mm -hmm. that as an outcome variable. When you look at all of those things, here's the hard truth. There is no one size fits all rule that, Mm works best for all of those things. Mm. And during purity culture, people were trying to find a rule. They were trying to say, just tell me what to do with my kids. Mm. And there isn't a rule. What I can tell you is that there is one option that works out best for most of those things. And it's your child being allowed to date, but choosing not to. Mm. And that's not something parents can control.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. I've, I've, I've raised three kids none of them were disinterested in dating much to our dismay we would yeah. have been happy for that but but yeah i mean that's that's just a tough thing but it, it there's no rules in some ways i think for raising teenagers period like everything you've been taught you know the the worst the worst parenting advice i ever got was from one of these uh, homeschooling, I don't know if Veritas Press or what it was, but I got this DVD teaching and it was all about how Jesus at age 12 had all of his character formed and how your child at age 12, Sheila, should have all of their character formed. And I just remember as a parent going, oh my word, we've completely failed one kid at 12. They don't even have think. their brains formed. <laughs> I know. It was insane. And, and all this guilt. But the Christian space, not just were these messages that you're talking about hard for the kids and for those adolescents coming of age, but for the parents, too, because they put these ridiculous rules and measures of success on parents. And you know what? What I've seen over raising three kids is if you love them well and stay engaged with them and that relationship stays warm despite whatever mistakes they make and you make because you will make plenty and keep them connected to, you know, they stay connected to the Lord and to you. By the time they're adults, love covers a multitude of sins. Thank you, Jesus. But that's, I mean, those are the important things. Like you said, my daughter's not married. I have a son, one son who's married. And you're right, on their wedding day, the most important thing is what kind of person are they marrying and what's the trajectory of their life right now? Are they pursuing the Lord or not? I mean, these are the things that matter, not did they perform according to these rules or whatever. And it's, it's, it really is perverse, and, it, and it's no wonder that we have a performance-based idea of God, like he's a taskmaster. I mean, this is a microcosm of really a much larger problem, isn't it?
1: It really is. And it's interesting how the things that we tell teens, they are kind of like a painting, a small miniature painting Mm. of how we see God in general, because the way that we parent our teens is the way that we think God parents us. And so much in the last few decades of evangelicalism has all been about trying to control kids Mm. And guilting them into things and blaming them for things, even things that they weren't even thinking about yet, but assuming that they're messing up when they're not messing up.
0: this concludes part one of my interview with Sheila on her newly released book, She Deserves Better. In part two, we'll discuss modesty messages like men are visual in a way women will never understand, or boys can't help but lust if a girl is dressed like she's inciting it. You'll also hear about a sexual pain disorder that
1: appears way more in evangelical women than anyone else it's really debilitating. And we found an incidence rate of around 23%, which is at least two to two and a half times the rate of the general population. If you talk to any pelvic floor physiotherapist, they will tell you most of my patients are evangelicals. And so there is something about our teaching that is actually hurting women's bodies.
0: Again, that's just a short excerpt from part two of my discussion with Sheila Ray Guaguar. But if you're thinking, I'd love to get a copy of Sheila's book and explore this topic more, you're in luck. This month, anyone who gives a gift of $30 or more to The Roy's Report will get a copy of She Deserves Better. Plus, you'll be helping support our ministry, which is almost 100% grassroots funded. We don't have any big donors or grants or advertising. We have you, the people who are passionate about protecting the vulnerable and seeing the church restored. To give your gift and get a copy of She Deserves Better, just go to Julie Roy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash donate. That's Julie Roy's dot com slash donate. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about this podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you were blessed and encouraged.